0: Hello and welcome to another episode of Political Agenda brought to you by New Narrative with me, your host PJ Thumb. I'm wearing a blue and white batik shirt sitting in front of a big white curtain and my pronouns are he, him. Today we have two founding members of the Peer Support and Advocacy Group for Queer Muslims, Kwasa, with us to talk about their organization, but before we get into that, this podcast is brought to you by New Narrative, a movement for democracy in Southeast Asia. Please do support us by joining as a member at newnarrative.com slash join or donating at newnarrative.com slash donate. Okay, so Kwasa is a peer support group uh, for queer Muslims. We have uh, two founding members, Irie and Muhammad, who are here with us today. Irie, would you like to introduce yourself?
1: Hi, I'm Irie and I am a community organizer. My pronouns are they them and I am wearing a dark green kabaya.
2: Hello, my name is Muhammad and I'm the religious advisor for Kwasa. Uh, I'm wearing a white shirt but
0: I'm not present in the camera. Yes, so for those of you watching on YouTube, you'll notice you can only see two of us, Iri and myself. Muhammad is off camera and has asked to remain anonymous. So, Muhammad, would you like to talk about why you've chosen to be anonymous today?
2: It's more to protect my family rather than myself. Uh, I came from the religious industry and my whole family is in the religious industry, and I hope this also highlights the extent to which, you know, the lack of queer rights in Singapore have has an effect on real world um, harm or real world effect,
0: you know, for can, people like can us. Can I just ask, like, what kind of backlash would they get if it if, it, if the community learned that one of their family members was queer, like would it be like they would be shunned or worse?
2: Uh, yeah, it could be worse. Uh, it has gone to the point of physical threats wow. and uh, violent threat online. Um, so that's one of the main reasons why I'm choosing to remain anonymous. But if it's not a physical threat, then it's a threat to one's livelihood. Because as I've mentioned, my family is in the religious industry, so they're bread and butter uh, from the
0: religious industry. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. And thank you for, you know, both of you, for your courage, for coming on this, knowing that the consequences can be very severe. But I really appreciate you coming on political agenda. Uh, So let's get straight into what is Kwasa? Irie, would you like to tell us what is Kwasa and uh, what do you do?
1: So Kwasa, as mentioned, is a peer support and um Advocacy collective, and what we really want to do is create a safe space where queer Muslims feel comfortable, um, you know, exploring both spirituality and sexuality. Because what we realized was that there are just no queer spaces in which people feel comfortable, you know, exploring. Okay, you know, I might be a bit more spiritual or religious, Um, I want to pursue a different lifestyle that isn't just um, clubs. Uh, and that's not really available there's no information there but if queer people do decide this is the path that they want to take they can't exactly turn up at the nearest masjid it's Mm -hmm. not a very queer friendly space in many places it's violent and so we wanted to be that kind of middle ground where we see you as you are you don't have to be a perfect Muslim I'm I'm definitely not Um, but we welcome you and all your struggles and we understand where you've been and we want to build that safety for you, hmm. build that community.
2: To add to Airi's answer, it's also in the name, Kwasa. We changed K to Q. Uh, for Kwasa in Malay means power. And we realised that majority of the, especially minority Muslim support groups, uh, catered around healing or catered around trauma-based support groups. Whereas for us, we wanted to also focus on post reconciliation within your sexual identity and your religious identity and also create not just a safe space, but an empowering space for people to express their religious identity as well. And we realize there isn't a space for that because it's always been focused about your sexual identity or or your gender identity. Um, We want to provide a platform where you can discuss about how to identify yourself as a queer and Muslim, or as a Muslim who just happens to be queer. Mm Um, which also is also a holistic approach. So we have a you know mental health, you know um, branch of the organization as well. Yeah.
0: So how how big is your organization right now?
1: Um, our actual so the founding members of Quasar are about six of us. Right. Um, and then what we actually planned to do right before the pandemic cut in was to start different chapters. So you know you had we, I think specifically when we look at young queer people. Who have no idea how to navigate any of this, whether it's their queerness or their um, religious, uh, you know, relationship with religion. Um, we wanted to be able to kind of guide them through that, and we wanted to start chapters where you know you would get an introduction and orientation within the community, people you could feel safe with, and then also give them kind of the the one on on mental health, on spiritual health, on just so many different things that come with being queer that that no one guides you on and you often have to find out by yourself and it's often a very painful process when you do it alone. Mm.
2: So whenever we organize an event, it ranges in the tens. Um, we don't have like a registration of members because our main focus is peer support. So our day-to-day operations is really responding to DMs on Instagram, um, you know, to queries and, you know, just a peer chat um, Mm -hmm. because it's nice to have someone who can relate to you. Um, It's not easy to find friends who happens to be queer within the Muslim community, let alone one that is open to talk about it. Mm -hmm. So we wanted to provide like a friend, like a queer Muslim friend that you can talk to who just happens to know a little bit more about reconciling between the religion and one's sexuality Mm -hmm. and can provide you with resources, whether it's religious resources, Academic resources, or even mental health resources, mm-hmm. uh, even support, um, um, in other forms. So that's why we partner with, not really partner, but we are in constant communication with Uga Chaga and Pink Dot. Mm. Uh, when we are unable to provide resources or support, then we would channel them to the right, um, you know, people, um, our partners, uh, rather, uh, that are working on the ground. Yeah,
1: because of the um pandemic, essentially our plan to host these chapters you Mm. know with that couldn't happen Um, and so we've been focusing on the last two years on creating these resources as Mm. we talked about Mm. mainly because to begin with that visibility isn't present people aren't aware that you can be both these things at once Mm. Um, and beyond creating that awareness I think um, it's also creating that trust within the community because there's just so much violence on both sides that you never really know who you can turn to. And so that peer support function is very important. But again, we recognize that you know we are not qualified or trained therapists. And mm-hmm. so um, we have to be mindful that as much as we want to support you, there are limits to what we can do for you. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. yeah, that was going to be my next question about trust, because, you know, Mohammed, you're not even willing to come on for very good reason, of course, uh, to be seen. So how do you create trust in these environments where you have random people reaching out to you through your DM saying, oh, I need advice or help. How do you then ensure the safety of the people who are already on the inside and filter and ensure that it's not you know, someone just trying to investigate or find out who you are or break that trust?
2: That's always a constant challenge. Whenever we try to organize an event, we always feel the need to filter because we do face trolls on a daily basis and people wanting to sabotage our causes, no matter how noble they are. So what we try to do is have a filter of who would be able to attend any of our events, whether online or offline. And then with regards to establishing trust amongst our own community, we, we, we are more of like we don't just subscribe to one agenda or one you know narrative. We provide several narratives I- that you can choose, you know yeah. there's no one Islam in our opinion. You can choose to express your religious identity to whatever to however you wish, but uh, we can help you provide with uh, resources for you to base that identity or base the expression upon so like we don't want to be the editor for this um, um, identity because the point is to provide a platform not an uh, not just one narrative you yeah.
1: so Recently, we actually hosted a qua supper. Um, mm-hmm. The moment the restrictions lifted, we were like, okay, we have to do something. And so, for the very first time, we had a um, a supper with ten people that we all, and we had vetted every single one of these people. Um, that meant actually, you know, meeting with uh, with them up in person before, just to see, you know, like what what the vibes are, and to make sure that they don't mean any harm. Mm-hmm. And so, we invited ten of these queer Muslims over um to my place, and again, because it's a place of you know, um, it's it's very unsafe if we don't bet. Um, yeah, so your own home. Right? Yeah. yeah, and uh, what we what we are very big on is also that idea of like facilitation. You know, you don't just throw people together and expect them to form that bond. And ah, yeah, so that trust has to really be slowly created. So group work. Um, and one of our founding members is a social worker. So okay. you know, we relied on them to uh, use group work processes to really. Uh, build that bond of trust, that, that idea of communication. And, and because that was only our first one, we, you know, we want to eventually go deeper and talk about other stuff. But yeah, that was good. We've
2: gotten also better at filtering trolls, uh, mm-hmm. especially for our online events. So we would include a telegram link, for example, and then we'll be doing like a sort of interview of who will be joining. So for our recent Quran class, we did a filtering process. So we've gotten quite a good SOP <laughs> in terms of our online um, you know, organizing uh, so we can m- better manage um, you know, who will be attending our events and also those participating also want to feel that they can feel safe being in our online events so they won't feel that like someone is spying on them. Mm-hmm. So we do have to put up an SOP um, of filtering trolls and people who just are bad actors. Yeah. yeah,
0: and Muhammad, can I pick up on on one thing you said, which I think is is a very is a question a lot of people listening, especially non-Muslims mm. listening, will have, which is the compatibility of Islam mm. and being queer, right? What so the, the I guess the obvious question is like, can you be queer and and Muslim, and and you're saying that there are multiple ways to understand or multiple identities? No, paths? the answer to that is yes. there are. Yeah. It's
2: not about can you? There are. Okay. Whenever we say, could you be what the answer is mu the question is mute, there are. Mm-hmm. So now move on to the next question. Because it's how. That's how. what we're trying to focus on. Right. How are you going to be a queer m- and Muslim at the same time? If you look back in history, Muslims in the past, well arguably they don't really, you know, have the same conception of homosexuality as we do. They've already managed to do so. You know, same-sexness is not a new thing in humanity, right? Mm-hmm. What is new is just you know the modern period with laws and etc. But now, we haven't had a space to ask or to question the how, which is where Kwasa is trying to come in. Because every time you come into that picture, then it's all going back to the Quran and the and the Hadith and the religion already is, is possible or not. <laughs> but that question is really mute because there already are queer Muslims on mm. the ground and. Yeah, you're not providing a platform for them to like better express themselves, you know, holistically.
0: Yeah. So, the when when so the uh, the question of how then when mm. people ask and uh, you know what what do you um, yeah can you can you summarize a response? So,
2: I mean, as usual, you have the moderate Muslims, conservative Muslims, and you also have the progressive Muslims, right? That's yeah. sort of pretty much the. Um, I I want to say spectrum but you could say spectrum Um, so you could argue that it is a test, you could argue that it is a sin, you could argue anyways, right, at the end of the day what does your conscience tell you and that's where we want to help you facilitate um, you know, that expression of Mm -hmm. your sexuality and your religious identity, right so if you say that it is a test so let's let's have a harmonious view of it then, so you don't you doesn't lead you to like self-hatred and like other mental health issues, right? If you see that this is something that is you know possible in Islam, and you could also argue that no matter how the conservative Muslim wants to argue that, I mean, homoeroticism was really a part of like Islamic poetry mm. um, and literature for you know centuries, right? You could also argue that, and we are here to tell you, okay, so how are you going to conceptualize that in this modern period? Right. And then, yeah, then you're going to have to talk about family. You have to talk about relationship, you have to talk about love, you have to talk about bearing children. But the point is, we haven't gone past the reconciliation part Mm -hmm. because we are still there. Mm. But the thing is, people are still continuing living. Life continues, meaning are still being made right now. Mm. So where's the help and support for that? You And where's the platform or safe space to discuss that?
1: Mm. Yeah. And I think um, to that point, what we see a lot of is that there is so much hypocrisy in the Islamic community, there is so much, you know, um, there's so much that's unaddressed within, let's say, the Muslim community in Singapore, there's a lot of, um, you know, sexual assault, there is a lot of religious abuse, there's a lot of, um, there's just so much that's going on, and like, even when you think about poverty and homelessness and, and all of that, our religious institutions are not actually really focusing on those issues and yet they want to talk about queerness as in, they mm. want to talk about all of these things um that just don't tally, you know, they, they it doesn't make sense like why is this the issue when you know very well that your own children, you know, are also being a bad Muslim on other terms, they're just not queer so why is that, you know the, the struggle, Um, and as much as, and, and I think for a lot of founding members, you know, we are not we are not perfect Muslims either. We have that struggle, we have that questioning, but we felt that it was very, very important that you get to come as you are and that you get to reconcile on your own terms, whether or not you, you choose to say that you are Muslim, um, because it's a, the journey. It is that journey of finding out and and there is just no there's just no grace and gentleness that we see elsewhere.
2: Yeah. To add to that, um People have this conception that queer Muslim groups, or rather queer groups, is always talking about sex. <laughs> <laughs> it is always about sex. Right, yeah. I find it very interesting because I've attended quite a few, quite a number of queer Muslim groups all over the world, and it's always about meaning. Mm. It's always about religion. It's always about finding love, or it's always about one's relationship with with God. Do you get what I mean? Yes. It's really no one really talks about sex in yeah. <laughs> in this in these yeah. meetings, so. That was when we realized that we needed to create a platform to talk about that part, you mm. know? I mean, to talk about empowerment, to talk about the post reconciliation, because we already are, you know, and the thing to add to I point is because we are a scarecrow, you know, argument, right? Oh, look, mm. we're sort of man. like a measure. Yeah, straw mm. man, we are, we are like, we are like, oh, look, this is the measure of like one's nation's faith. For example, in Egypt, when um, you know, Muslim Brotherhood came to you know, power, right? The first group of m- m- minorities that they targeted were the LGBTQ Muslims, right? To showcase, um, you know, that they are the authority on the religious authority, that they are sort of savior of the religion. So it's happening everywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, minorities are always the target of um, you know political targets, you know, for you know political expedience. Um, so that's what's happening when, when I say about backlash, right? It's always a showcase of, okay, this is why we are targeting them because it's showcase that we are protecting the religion.
1: And we are superior. Yeah, mm. that we are superior.
2: But then there are also other issues within the mainstream community that is also a threat to the religion as a theology, but it's not being as addressed or not as visible. You get what I mean? Yeah, it's just an easy target. LGBTQ Muslim, uh, minority minorities are just an easy target yeah
0: what, what do you what do you think that is I mean I have my suspicions but I'm interested mm. in what you'd have to say where um, why is it LGBTQ Muslims um, are the target when it's it's so hard to you know you, you look at someone you can't tell whether they're LGBTQ there's no there's no way to know uh, and it, you're, you're, it's such an inconsequential thing what difference does it make whether you're LGBTQ or not Right? Why wouldn't? Why? Why uh, isn't the dividing line for you know trying to prove you're a good Muslim being more something like, how much have you donated to charity? How much have you fed the poor? How much have you helped, you know, those who can't help themselves? Why is it? Is it just because it's easy to target such a small, invisible minority, and
2: less noisy minority? Less it's noisy. It's a smaller nom- number who right. i mean i'm here not wanting to go <laughs> on camera yeah. trying to talk about queer rights in islam who in their right mind would want to go all out being a public advocate for queer muslims and not being afraid <laughs> yeah <laughs> so sorry <laughs> i agree, but like you get what i mean yeah. um that also not a lot of us are privileged mm. do not come from privileged background and privilege comes in many you know pic- um you know factors come from different factors so there's so many different fact, uh, reasons why we are an easy target mm. um, and why we are always the straw man mm. for mm-hmm. a- anything. Yeah, mm.
0: the, the history of queer Muslims, I mean, it's a very rich history. It's not like you've just suddenly appeared out of nowhere, right? Yeah, I mean, there's a lot
2: to unpack there, whether first of all, the Muslims in the past really actually do identify themselves as queer Muslims, as queer. What does even what does queer even mean considering that it was a different epistemology of gender on gender ontology could we even argue that they actually were you know queer right? right or were they simply viewing everything as their right to love whoever whomever right but the point is that there's something there there's a reference there there's a heritage there however you would like to view it, whatever lens do you, that you would like to view it from. Um, and that heritage is not being tapped on by current queer identifying Muslims as they formulate or as they conceptualize their identities right now because it's just not being shared um, and there's no participation from the mainstream Muslim scholars to help or aid in that identification process or that reconciliation process. Um, I'm sure you know there's a lot of um, censorship um, happening, um, you know, in general, right? Especially in the you know Islamic religious industry. Uh, when it comes to manuscripts and when it comes to um, our religious heritage, uh, you have the what's supposed to be normative Islam versus possible Islam or different narratives of Islam in the past. And a lot of it right now, when you say mainstream Muslim, is what mainstream Muslims would like islam to be or how it should be right and then they would bring the argument about isis and terrorists but there's the difference though <laughs> isis wants to destroy people whereas queer muslims wants to love just want the freedom to love whoever they right. want you can't use that argument that oh we need to preserve the religion um, to
0: prevent it from being corrupted you right. know But even in the mainstream, there are different debates, right? Because isn't it... um, You know, they aren't aren't even religious debates. They're cultural debates. Mm. Like, um, if I remember correctly, Jokowi was asserting that there was a Nusantara Islam. Mm -hmm. Whereas uh, Malaysian leaders were saying, no, like, all Islam is the same around the world Mm. and we need to, uh, you know, we should all conform to the same Islam. Mm. So even there, there's there's a debate, can Islam be culturally, uh, you know, adapt itself to different cultural contexts? Mm. But right. when you're a queer Muslim, you're not invi- even
2: invited <laughs> to the debate table. Right. Yeah, <laughs> You <Yeah. laughs> don't want to identify yourself at the table that you are. So what we're trying to do at Quasa is to provide a platform where you can discuss about it, mm. how you want to formulate it, and then we can help you with resources so you can feel more assured? Mm. Because no one has actually reached certitude when it comes to religious conception, have they? Can the mainstream Mm. Muslim community actually say, this is absolutely right, I'm definitely going to heaven because of what I'm doing right now. Can you absolutely say that? No one can, right? Mm. Ultimately, you rest within the mainstream community or the majority, or because the majority of people are doing it, I'm assured that I am on the right path. That's what we want to provide to the queer Muslims to give them some level of assurance that you don't have to feel a certain way because of how you're born with how you're born and these are the resources Mm -hmm. for you to feel a little bit more assured. And ultimately, we are all in this together. We're just trying our best to be Muslim. I think in the Quran, it says, you know, be pious or be righteous to God to the best of your capabilities. And that's literally what queer Muslims want to do. People like to talk about queerness or homosexuality as being a choice, right? The nature versus nurture debate. But then people forgot that being Muslim is a choice and we chose to remain Muslims no matter what, you know, and that should be lauded. Uh, we feel like Kwasa that should be celebrated. And I think in Islam that is celebrated, you know, despite whatever you still remaining faithful to religion. And that's something that we feel disappointed at times by the Muslim mainstream Muslim community mm. because they're not recognizing that. Mm. When they see us, they only see us as sexual subjects or sexual objects. Mm. You know, you over-sexualize us. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you over-sexualize us and all your focus is always about sex when we are trying to tell you that what we want to talk to you about or what we want to discuss with you about is meaning mm. and, and, and living. Um, and, and I yeah.
1: think there's this queer... I think queer people do this very well. We always kind of challenge the norm. Um, we want to rewrite our own stories. We want to make that meaning. Um, the way that queer people do, you know, the way queer people interpret and understand families of choice, um, marriages and relationships and belonging, that's that's just how you know we kind of evolve. Um, our relationship to society and want to make it better, not just for ourselves but for other people. And in the same way we want to do that with Islam. We choose to bela- believe in an Islam that is much more accepting and graceful than the than majority would have you believe. Um, and to you know, really kind of guide people again into that heritage that you're not alone, you have your queer elders. We're not we're not queer elders, but you know, there are queer elders there are, there are communities, there are people who have who have made this possible, and and you don't have to go through the same kind of like hardship we did, where we were trying to f- make this meaning alone, and we when cut off mm. from the world, you know, um, mm. no resources, nothing on our, like nothing to back us. We want to make that that path just easier. Yeah,
0: yeah what you describe just sounds so, in some ways, mundane, right? Yeah. Everyone wants meaning. Mm. Everyone's searching for meaning for community and what you want is no different right mm-hmm. you want to have lives of dignity and respect mm-hmm. and that is no different from anyone else mm-hmm. and this this whole obsession with sex i have to wonder whether it's also about policing bodies mm-hmm. policing uh you know lives and part of the problem then is we live in a country where the government asserts the right to police our private lives mm-hmm. Um, so I'm I'm curious a bit about the interaction between um, the how how queer Muslims are treated and then the broader social cultural political context in Singapore. Um, do you see that very much reinforcing each other and uh, and how the government treats uh, your community, you know, both as uh, in, in you know this acceptance that um, the there is something distinctive about your community, uh, but also trying to then impose a certain uniformity on it. Um, Yeah, all this policing, um, it feels like this has become almost... Well, over the years, it's become very acceptable in Singapore for authority to police people, to police how you live, how you act, how you think in pursuit of certain narratives right for the government its nation building it's like economic progress but then for in, internally within the communities that's become then acceptable f- to you know um create uh social cohesion mm-hmm. to clarify our identity to be uh, to create a distinctive community to st- you know to 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 like um to to have a community that supports each other uh and then it becomes a debate about what, what really is um, development what mm-hmm. is is it all of us being exactly the same and imposing something on a community so they' all on the, we have unity and we're all moving in the same direction or is it respecting every individual person within the community and having them um, you know um, ha- earn like self-determination, an agency, right? And then you end up with the same debate that, uh, well, what happens if another person or another group's self-determination conflicts with my definition of self-determination? And how do we resolve that? And historically in Singapore, the answer to the PAP has been to impose something on everyone. And it sounds like the same thing that's happening here. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I'm just... I mean, I don't think I have a question there. It's just an observation where we keep running into these issues in Singapore because we're not able to talk about issues, because everything's imposed. Every issue about identity ends up running into the same problem where stuff's being imposed on you um, by elites in pursuit of a broader goal. Mm. Um, Yeah. So I guess the a uh, the question from this is you know are there queer muslim groups across the border because we live next to the biggest muslim country in the world mm-hmm. right how is it dealt with over there mm-hmm. i think to respond to
2: your observation is that people don't realize that we are part of the uniformity right queer people are contributing to the economy are um, business owners, <laughs> uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, major stakeholders in this na- part of the nation building. The problem arises when visibility is involved. Right. When you become too visible, and then the problem arises when equality is being brought to the table. You know, when you demand for more m- for equality. I wouldn't say more equality mm-hmm. because it's definitely unequal right now. So that's the part of the problem. But other- otherwise if you you know count out to the you know day to day quotidian affairs of you know ec- economic contributions by all means go do you but then when you want to ask for more then that's a problem i always wonder like why are we always asking the mainstream muslim community about what is fair mm-hmm. for the minority within the mainstream muslim community mm-hmm. you don't ask a majority about what should be fair mm-hmm. For the minority, mm-hmm. There's just bonkers. There, I don't understand how is that. Like, why do we have to look to them to ask mm-hmm. for what should be done to the minority? You should be talking to the minority to s- to ask them what, how they should be fairly treated. You know, what are they looking for? Um, so the problem is always about visibility. If you're in the underground, if you keep to yourself, don't come out. You know, don't be visibly queer. Everyone is fine with that, you know. Like you said, no one is like, inconsequential when one is, you know, LGBT Muslims, because no one actually knows unless you're, you know, visibly queer. But then when your visibility is involved, then everything gone, everything gone, gone go, will go to haywire, and then people will be panicking, right? With regards to like the you know our border name, our neighbors. It's always funny how, for example, in Malaysia, queer identifying individuals are part of the. Main part of the entertainment industry, and you can see how visibly queer they are, but, but then when they start to come out or become, or uh, rather um, express that they are, you know, queer, then that becomes a problem. You know, then religion is involved, etc. I think there was recently a trans um, uh, 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 influencer yeah. who everyone knows that she's trans identifying, right? Uh, she has gone through um, uh, surgeries, etc. Everyone loves her. She has a huge following on Instagram. She's viral, etc. But then it became an issue, and then the mainstream Muslim community, you know, and then it became politicized when she went for pilgrimage and performed pilgrimage as a woman. Then that becomes an issue, and then everyone starts to, like, you know, talk about it and, like, this is problematic, etc. But you were okay <laughs> with her doing her thing, but when she decides to become religious because that is part of her identity, then it becomes an issue and politicized and or oh, something must be done about it. But this, <laughs> yeah. yeah, like
1: this gatekeeping of mm-hmm. Islam is at its core just so paradoxical because people are trying to go towards their religion and um what all you're doing is really just pushing people away. Mm-hmm. And we see that happen within so many families where, you know, you want people to be more more religious, more practicing, but you enact so many different forms of abuse and control and expect people to, to be interested or to feel that closeness or, or alignment. Mm-hmm. Um, and to your point about, um, you know, the what we do with our neighbours we haven't planned anything yet Mm. but we do actually get quite a few uh, DMs from people from Malaysia and Indonesia Mm -hmm. because they are also similarly so shocked that something could exist Mm -hmm. and I do think that um, it is more common perhaps in different regions because we had someone from London I think, uh, a ten hour cross upper and Mm. they were saying that like here you just can't find queer Muslim communities, but back home it's so common and it's so easy to come as you are and and, you know, feel at home and and understand that, you know, we are all going to look very different to one another and yet we can still respect our like the different ways to practice religion. You know, some Mm. people are wearing hijabs, some people aren't, Mm. some people are tattooed, some people aren't you know, Mm. like just very these different expressions of Identity um, Ultimately That doesn't matter Because we understand That you respect The person mm-hmm. And whether or not You choose to bring Islam Into it Is a reflection of you And not mm-hmm. the other person
0: Also yeah.
2: Indonesia And Malaysia Are bigger in number mm-hmm. um, Their religious expressions Are more variegated More diverse You know Islam in Indonesia Is very rich mm-hmm. Right And it's spread across You know Geographies Basically So There's more opportunities there um, You know f- For you to form you know, safer communities um, in certain locales. Um, Malaysia is a slightly different picture mm-hmm. um, because the religious authority there is more centralised yeah. rather than Indonesia. Indonesia's religious authority, will, even when you have the Nahadatul Ulama, it's not really that centralised because it's such a huge geography. So you have pockets of communities you know, operating within their own religious landscapes, yeah. so to say. Uh, whereas Malaysia, it's very centralised. Yeah. There's a whole you know, legal operations when it comes to religion is a bit harder for, you know, queer identifying, um, you know, Malay Muslims in Malaysia. Um, and we get that sometimes in our DMs as well, people reaching out to us from across the border saying that, thank you so much for this. Because like I said, uh, like we say that Kwasa really focused more on the post-reconciliation rather than just, rather than just about healing and, you know, trauma, uh, etc. Mm-hmm. Um, so they were very happy to, to see that we are providing narratives or counter narratives, you know, um, you know, correcting misconceptions, uh, providing like religious lessons, you know, providing providing community, which may be difficult in their locales.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think like having that kind of collaboration would be really wonderful. But mm. just because safety is such a, a big issue in both Malaysia and Indonesia, um, maybe in Indonesia it's a bit more flexible, mm. but. I struggle to think about how we can um, you know build that collaboration and build that partnership when Mm. here we are already so limited
2: Mm.
0: if I can pick up on on something you said about how Malaysia is very centralised and Indonesia more decentralised the the countries are also governed that way Mm. Um, and it just to come back to this point how much of uh, the oppression that you feel is because you're also yourselves part of a minority. You, so you're a minority within the minority and mm-hmm. the minority is desperately trying to hold on to... The, you, know, you already feel you're so oppressed. Mm-hmm. Um, and part of it, do you get a sense that you're feeling that other people in your community, the people who are oppressing you in your community feel that you're the ones letting the group down Mm. by not conforming and building internal strength and unity, um, you know, which is part of the big problem of how we deal with, with, uh, you know, minority, majority relationships in Singapore, that it's a very sort of top down, oppressive, you know, uh, fit into neat boxes sort Mm -hmm. of approach, like just free society and there's no evolution. But there's also no recognition of the individual within that. Um, but also a problem where every I mean everyone thinks of themselves as a, as a minority, mm-hmm. right? And historically in Singapore, you you have a very interesting dynamic where under British colonialism, uh, the Chinese were heavily oppressed, their language, their education system, their culture, and then the PAP continued that shutting down Nanta and you know ending Chinese education. So I brought this up in a previous podcast with my Sarah about how on earth to deal with a problem of race when both sides see themselves as the oppressed minority, mm. and how on earth do you build solidarity or overcome things when because of all these centuries, well, decades of oppression, both sides conclude that you know we're the ones who've been oppressed. Why should we give way? So. Coming back to, to you, do you get a feeling in your community that, hey, we're already so oppressed, stop making things worse for us. We're already so struggling so much. Why do you need to be different? Why can't you just, you know, conform and be a good team player until, I don't know, some, some unspecified future, right? But do you get that sense as well, that, you know, the feeling towards you is not like, we don't like you, but you're letting us down. You <laughs> <laughs> so you
2: ask how, it's easy, one word, empathy. Yeah. Yeah. I think the mainstream Muslim community forget because they tend to make us into cardboard pieces of just sex. That they devoid us of humanity and common problems and commonalities. We face Islamophobia, <laughs> we face racism, sexism, and all the same things that minor- other minorities like Muslims also face. But they forget that you mm. know people think that oh they have pink dot they have a community mm. that's not true that's rampant um, racism mm. within the queer community in Singapore mm. mm. that's Singapore beauty standards to adhere to which minorities do not you know match you know mm. and you talk about um um behaving oneself. It's not that we do not want to behave ourselves, but how do we behave ourselves and still be able to live with ourselves? Mm. right? Sure, it is easy to just get married um, you know, um, to an opposite sex, for example, mm. and live your life. But what does that say about you, you know, as a religious person? How is that fair to the opposite you know, to your spouse, For example, mm. you know, if you're, if you're really all about gender equality right now, right? How is that fair to the opposite gender? For example, say like a gay man, Muslim man, marry a a straight, you know, Muslim woman. Sure, sex is not everything, but how is that fair to that woman? Yeah. How is that ethical? How is that Islamic? You know, when there's lack of honesty there, how can that be part of the religion? Mm. When there's no integrity there, that's no longer religion. Then you you know, there's nothing about that is faith anymore. Mm. So that's what we're trying to do. How do we leave? Ethically and behave ourselves, mm. but to the best of our capabilities, within our you know mm-hmm. moral codes, within the Islamic moral codes as uh, as, as well, mm. but we are not getting support, you know, because there's no conversation happening. Mm. Whenever there's a conversation happening with the mainstream Muslim community, and there has been, you know, with with some of the you know religious authorities here. The conversation is all about like, okay, this is our stand, and then that's it, mm. and then you stop there. Do you get what I mean? Yeah. And then you you, you tell us what are your problems, mm. but what was the next step then? Do you get what I mean? Yeah. And then it will be followed by a media release about, oh, we've done this, we've reached out, we have a focus mm. group discussion. Yeah, but focus group discussion, you don't come up with a solution. Like there there isn't really a next step. Do you get what I mean? Yeah. And you already come to the table, not with really open arms, more of like, this is our stand and you just have to To accept it it Mm. because this is the majority anyway and behave yourself. We do want to behave ourselves, trust us. It would just be easier if we could behave ourselves, but then we wouldn't be able to live with ourselves. Mm. And that's the problem that we want to talk about. Mm. That's why we have a mental health branch as well. Mm. You get what I mean? It's say if you choose a certain lifestyle, I think for queer Muslims, the last style is still a choice. Mm. Because we have to make that choice, mm. you know, because it's a momento momentous choice. You get what I mean? Yeah. Yeah.
1: I think with the behaving as a team player, that's a very interesting question because sometimes it feels almost generational. Like there are certain mm. um, generations of Muslims that will enforce that a bit more stricter than others. And with some generations it's not even that you have to be a team player, but um there's just no value to being queer. They just don't see the point. Like, why, why deviate? Why not? And the question doesn't come. You know, why can't you just do what everyone else is doing? But it it then just is something that is very. It's a sort of privilege. It's a. It's like that comfort of like knowing like okay, this is what I can control, and this is what, um, community looks like. And if you deviate, then I have. Then I have to question what identity is I have to question what faith is I have to recognize that actually my exploration of faith isn't very deep because it's mm-hmm. not very understanding um, and that's just what I, like, I've personally experienced it's not yeah it's really not about being a team player it's just it would be uncomfortable for me to do that radical self-inquiry mm-hmm. yeah and you know
0: when, when we say deviate and mainstream you know we always have to remember it's it's elite's People in power setting up this idea of what is mainstream. Mm-hmm. If you look at the, at, 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 you know, culture in Singapore and how it's changed so drastically over the decades mm-hmm. and what is mainstream, what is normal has changed so much, mm-hmm. right? The, the, the things that we do or think or say today would be very alien to our grandparents, mm-hmm. um, you know, 50 years ago. And, and I can say this because I've really studied the 50s and 60s and mm-hmm. the kind of ideas, the thoughts, the the assumptions people had back then, mm-hmm. not just in Singapore, globally, are, are in many ways drastically different from what we have today. Sometimes mm-hmm. for the better, but sometimes for the worse. Mm-hmm. Um, another observation I actually want to make is um, this, this idea that, oh, we've done, we've consulted, we've had the focus group discussion mm-hmm. and that's all. And that's actually also a very PAP thing, which yes. I pointed out that for PAP democracy is having the act of consultation mm-hmm. without uh, necessarily. necessarily having any action on that consultation, right? Mm-hmm. So they will they will invite people for talks and reach out, and then then they will go away and make the decision. And most of the time, that's the decision they were going to make anyway. Mm-hmm. But they they'll say, oh well, we consulted you. Therefore, you you know this is a consultative process. You have been um, you know your democratic rights have been respected. Mm-hmm. That this decision-making process is democratic, mm-hmm. right? You don't actually get to sit in on the in the meeting where the decision is made, mm-hmm. right? Or have any impact on the implementation of anything. Mm-hmm. You just get consulted, mm-hmm. and so again, it feels like, you know, to come back to a theme that I feel is emerging. It's it's not just you know, queer Muslims, but it's like the whole, the way Singapore is governed as a whole is so hierarchical and top-down yes. and the way P, the PAP has set up certain assumptions has also filtered downwards into how individual communities try to self-govern. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, yeah, and
2: talking about like self, self-governing, we've been quite abstract in this, but there are real-world harm happening as we mm-hmm. speak. There isn't a week that goes by that we do not receive DMs saying about I'm being abused domestically Mm -hmm. right or I'm you know thinking of like uh, self-harming self-harm etc and these all require help from the mainstream community right because a lot of it has been religiously fueled right some of these domestic abuse are religiously fueled you know parents siblings or relatives find it justified Mm -hmm. to do so to abuse physically abuse um, a queer Muslim because for some strange reason, they believe that the religion allows them to do so, and when there's a lack of support or lack of counter narrative from religious authorities or the mainstream Muslim community, the problem just persists. So it's a nice thing that you could check check it off your list that you've done an FGD, but the problem is still there, and it's been it's been there, and no one's doing anything about it, and frankly speaking like queer muslims groups in singapore or even like in this region are very tired of it so that's mm-hmm. why we have to resort to like forming our safe spaces mm-hmm. and like come up with like um um housing mm-hmm. um solutions etc mm-hmm. to the point where we have to create a community where you can stay at mine mm-hmm. just to escape your mm-hmm. abuse mm-hmm. for the night or two mm-hmm. And this shouldn't be upon us, mm-hmm. you know, as a minority. We have our own lives to live. Mm-hmm. This is a real world problem that requires, you know, real world yeah. solutions. The you violence know?
1: is very structural, yeah. very systemic. Yeah. And because there's just so much that's tied up with like finances, yeah. there is just mm-hmm. and no... Privilege. yeah. There's no independence. There's no safety if you don't have your own money, ultimately. Mm-hmm. And that's why we keep seeing this pattern of, you know, people just absolutely being pushed to the margins Mm -hmm. until they break and the only way that many of those people get out is if they are able to stay employed and able to find their own place to live Mm
2: -hmm. it's really about privilege and we're just talking about this part we haven't been talking about sexual health Mm -hmm. right a lot of um that's an overrepresentation of HIV patients, for example, and people with like STDs amongst the Malay Muslim queer folks, because there is a lack of like sexual health mm, and sexual mean. information. Who's going to educate them? Mm. You know, I mean, your conservative Muslim parents are not going to educate you on like sexual health, but like, let's be real, people are sexually active. Mm. So like, it's not you're not being practical. You're still on the idealistic, mm. you know, real, you know, I- mm. notion that you just behave. Mm. This is the ideal, Mm. meet it. but we are not, you know, we are not perfect human beings and you will never meet that ideal. So what are you going to do about it? Emptiness. There's no conversation that leads up to that, right? So like I said, there's real world issues that require real world solutions. But there isn't a space for it. Mm. So that's mm. why we try to facilitate this conversation, try to provide resources, try mm. to educate, not just empower, but also educate mm. queer Muslims by just being their friend. Mm. So that's why we are not professionals. Like maybe like we have a social worker, but we're not professionals. Mm. But mm. the least that we could do is we are an informed friends. Yeah. We might have a little bit more privilege for us to do this mm. because this takes privilege. It takes a lot mm. of our time. Mm. And our mental, uh, you know, sleep, um, bandwidth, yeah, yeah and, and 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 sleep and and, and personal time from family, etc., mm. to respond to requests. And you can't respond to a query through DM while you are in a low emotional state. You have to be, mm. you know, stable yourself, where you are still going through it yourself. Mm. You know, as a queer we also have our own issues to mm. deal with. We have family to deal di- to deal with, right? Mm. So. This should have been a systemic, you know, sub- there should be have been a systemic support, mm. but no, because why? People still want to talk about the whether it's possible to be gay and Muslim mm. at the same time. And, mm. and yeah. forget
1: like the queer people for just one second, right? Um, if you look at the issues within the Muslim community, that like I mentioned earlier, there's so much like sex that is not you know robust at all. Um, there's so much uh, to do with like abuse and violence and like. There's, there's so much to talk about and address But there are just no resources Or no interest on, on really fulfilling The needs of the community as they are So mm. the only thing that we can do now Is to decide Okay, you know what As much as those issues are also important We have to look within ourselves And we have to see that The queer Muslims need the most protection mm. And we will do everything in our power To provide that
2: mm. yeah. Actually, we do receive requests From heterosexual Identifying, you know, Muslims asking us about sexual questions and stuff relating to religion Mm -hmm. and interfaith marriages, But we have to push back and Mm -hmm. we have to say this is beyond our scope Mm -hmm. because our focus is for just for queer Muslims Mm -hmm. to be a peer support for queer Muslims. But we find that that is an indication. There's still a demand. Yeah, there's a demand for it, and because like Um Irie was saying. Not addressing the queer uh, the the Muslim community as they are, rather than as they should be yeah. or how they should behave, yeah. that's the problem. Yeah. Then a lot of issues goes under the rug and then nothing gets addressed, yeah. or you don't want to address them because everything is still taboo, which is very, um, interesting. Because like when we were looking at our resources, we've seen how sex positive Islam was. We basically mm. discuss about every single thing. You mm. get what I mean, like homoeroticism was the vogue of, you know, the medieval period, mm. right? Like, to, you know, back then the Europeans were the ones, you know, judging the Muslims, right? Saying these are the libertines, mm. these are the ones who are not behaving themselves, you know, God cursed them, right? Now yeah. it's the other way around. <laughs> and, and it's so funny how we are not able to discuss topics which were discussed back then so freely and openly in the malls and in like open spaces. Um, yeah, I mean. Things have changed, and but we can't wait, so that's why we form kwasa you know to bring back that you know culture of like openness and yeah empowerment and education
0: yeah so ultimately it, it, you know you're, you the space you're creating is fantastic, but what I'm most hearing is it, there's so much of it that is just structural and beyond mm-hmm. just queer Muslims, it's yeah. about how Singapore is misogynistic, it's mm-hmm. economically exploitative, you mm-hmm. know neoliberal capitalism mm-hmm. is tr- destroying us authoritarianism is destroying us (laughs) and really what what we need is to change the whole system if everyone has rights if we have a redistributive economy that treats people with dignity and respect it feels like 90 percent of your problems will be dealt with
1: (laughs) pretty much um but and and that's the thing i think we also create kwasa because we recognize that that first step is the hardest, but mm-hmm. we have yeah. to do it. And we hope that, you know, by creating Kwasa, other, other queers, other Muslims, other whoever, you know, feel okay, you know, if they can do that, mm. then we can also create our own communities and safe spaces because mm-hmm. that's the only form of resistance we have right now.
2: Mm-hmm. People always caveat their questions, so uh, thank you so much for existing, mm. mm-hmm. because it means a lot to them that we are, you know, existing, right? Yeah. Um, that we are here acting, you know, for lack of a better word, a catalyst for change, mm. basically, and we are starting change, and we are hoping that it would cause like a snowball effect. You know, we might be limited to what we can do right now, but at least we are starting it, mm. um, and that's what we aim for. Um, now that restrictions are lifted, we are mm. hoping for more events, yeah. more community-based um, mm. offline events where mm-hmm. we can meet each other and have like actual discussions mm-hmm. of like religion and etc. Yeah. Uh, we're also trying to Create more safe spaces for queer identifying Muslims to practice their religion mm-hmm. right so like I said there's also the issues of like some queer identifying or queer visibly queer Muslims not being able to practice freely in the mosques etc or ask certain questions in the mosque, mm-hmm. etc so mm-hmm. that's what we're trying to provide mm-hmm. filling the gaps right there
0: yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah okay, so what are your future plans? Um, you've mentioned more events. Mm -hmm. Um, You have an Instagram page. Will you have any other channels? Are you developing any other channels? We have Twitter. We are trying. Um, But I
1: think for us, Instagram is really where our resource library will be for now. We Mm. might look at a site, but we are really just building those resources first. um, Whether those are, you know, academic texts Mm. or just like uh, guides, manual instructions Mm. um, on, on how to perform a certain religious right. Mm-hmm. Um, those those are the things that we are looking at. But as mentioned, I think we are doing these things called chapters, mm-hmm. um, where we want to basically welcome as many queer Muslims as we can. We vet all of them. And then we have a sort of like orientation into being what being queer in Singapore means. What tools do you need? And then guiding them through the mental health, the spiritual, the community aspect. And, and Basically, what what we're planning to do is, um, groups of maybe eight people, I think, and this one group will follow like the different chapter as it progresses, right. so that they have and and these are like basically in person workshops that we're conducting, yeah. um, and opportunities to gather commun uh, together yeah. with communities. safely. Mm-hmm.
2: the goal is to have them empowered and informed mm-hmm. about being queer and Muslims mm-hmm. at the end of it, so that can have an effect around their social circles. Mm. Because we can't reach out to that many. Yeah. Right? And so, so yeah.
1: equipping them with that, like with those tools and also with their own communities because we don't want to be at the center of it. We want mm. to we want you to see that okay, there are at least seven hundred people in my group but across the community There are like Maybe five other groups And so I know like I don't have to always Go to Kwasa directly You're mm-hmm. not like An authority right. Yes You yeah. know You form your own communities And then you go branch out And you do your own mm-hmm. Like projects Yeah
2: Yeah I mean we started as friends Yeah we did. Kwasa started as friends Because we realised We were there, There's no friends mm-hmm. So we are hoping that And it's easy to feel lonely And mm-hmm. alone As a queer Muslims, Especially in Singapore mm-hmm. So at least we are Helping people To make friends With each mm-hmm. other Yeah
0: Yeah and okay this might be a stupid question but is it possible to do lgbtq friendly religious services like because you mm-hmm. know in the christian community there's at least one church which is openly mm-hmm. very yeah. pro-lgbtq started by the former methodist mm-hmm. bishop um I- is the same thing possible it's already been done yeah like mm-hmm. across the globe in yeah.
2: australia oh. in london in in um in in, in the states mm. in singapore it would be very difficult mm. because uh, of
1: the religious authority here.
2: So you need
0: licensing and things like
2: exactly. that. Exactly. Right. Yeah, you you will need like Asatizar, the Asatizar recognition scheme, um, mm. certification for you to perform any religious services. However, we do have a number of queer-friendly um, religious um, um, clerics, clergymen in mm. Singapore. Uh, recently, we had a Quran class which was facilitated by one of them. Um, so yeah. that happens, but we do have to reach out to them personally. Mm-hmm. And there's always a caveat. Oh, I don't want to be published. Mm-hmm. Yes, of course. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I don't, yeah. want, I don't yeah. want my name anywhere. Uh, and, uh, I mean, and it's yeah. strange
1: because it's not like there aren't queer asatizas or ustazt. Like, you know, there are queer ustazt and asatizas. Mm-hmm. They're just, you know, they're just not able to do that freely. So
2: yeah. yeah. But yeah, I think the need for it is being seen among the religious community. It's a very slow progress but um and it would take time and I think the point of this is as much as however long it will take, at least the needle is moving at yeah. least something is in, in, in is mobile i mean not static and we will wait, but I mean, as a historian <laughs> yourself, you could see that you know conservatism comes and go, yeah. you know h- humanity tends to um venture towards a certain direction, towards more justice, more equality, more fairness. You get what I mean? And, you know, lack of equality is just a temporary phase until like something Mm -hmm. momentous occur. Yeah. The arc of the universe is long, but But it ends with justice. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So we are hoping for that. Yeah. Mm -hmm.
0: Okay, so we're out of time. uh, But last question uh, for people listening, if they want to reach out to you, if they want to get involved, how should they find you?
1: So you can find us on KWASA on Instagram and Twitter, Kwasa S G. And um, we're gonna we've already started putting out queer spirituality surveys. We are looking at collecting more data to build out like resources in our library, but we also will begin those chapters very soon. So stay tuned and then we will contact you through the forms uh, and form responses if you're interested.
0: Okay, fantastic. All right. So thank you very much, Irie and Muhammad for coming on the on political agenda today. Really appreciate it. I wish you all the best. We'll have all those links for your stuff in the show notes. Uh, so if people want to reach out, they can uh, reach out. And of course, thank you to you, our listener, for tuning in today. And as always, if you've enjoyed this, if you find this useful, please do join New Narrative as a member at newnarrative.com join or donate newnarrative.com donate. We need you to keep our movement for democracy in Southeast Asia going. Thank you very much and see you next time. Bye. Thank you.
2: Thank you.